Welcome to the FDD Events Podcast. I'm Cliff Mate, founder and president of FDD. I'm pleased to share with you the following conversation. Please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast so you don't miss out on future FDD events. Good morning, everyone. It's Friday, January 5th. Israel has been at war for 91 days. I'm Rich Goldberg, Senior Advisor at the Foundation for Defense of Democracies in for John Shanzer. Welcome to the FDD Morning Brief. This morning, I'll be joined by my colleague, Anthony Ruggiero, who has decades of experience in the U.S. government, including most recently as NSC Senior Director for Counterproliferation and Biodefense. But before we get to Anthony, let's take a quick look at the news. It's been a couple of days, but so far, we've seen limited fallout from the killing of Hamas's number three, Salah Aruri. Remember that strike in uh, Beirut just a couple of days ago? Uh, not a lot out of the Hama- uh, Hezbollah leader, Hassan Nasrallah, in a speech uh, where some expected he might announce a big retaliation. So far, that retaliation uh, of a significant level has not come. Meanwhile, the IDF has been continuing away with their operations in Khan Yunus in southern Gaza, with the Israeli Air Force reportedly killing operatives who were attempting to plant an explosive device near IDF soldiers. In the north, Hezbollah announced the deaths of at least nine additional operatives, bringing the toll number of Hezbollah fighters killed since the start of the war to 149, but many, including John, who isn't here today, would tell you that number is likely higher. The U.S. military appears to have entered the chat a bit more seriously Thursday, killing in an airstrike in Baghdad an influential commander uh, of a uh, militia uh, backed by Iran that is based in Iraq and Syria and has been attacking U.S. forces. Meanwhile, the mystery and deadly bombing of the gravesite in Iran of IRGC Quds Force Commander Qasem Soleimani now has a confirmed culprit with the Islamic State claiming responsibility. A lot of egg on their face for those out there who were quick to sort of cast aspersions that somehow Israel or the United States would have been behind that attack. All hallmarks of that attack from the very beginning spoke to an internal domestic threat in Iran. Here are your three headlines to watch. Number one, there are no signs that their irresponsible behavior is abating. That is a quote from the head of U.S. Naval Forces Central Command, Vice Admiral Brad Cooper, speaking about the ongoing Houthi threat to international shipping in the Red Sea. Despite the U.S. and 12 allies issuing what appeared to be a final cease and desist letter, if you will, to the Houthis on Wednesday, we saw a report just yesterday of an attempted suicide drone attack, an attempted attack using an explosive-laden unmanned surface vessel, or boat drone. So what comes next? Zone defense and nasty letters have not restored deterrence against the Houthis or their masters in Tehran. Wednesday's statement made it pretty clear the next step would be offensive military action by the U.S. and perhaps allied militaries inside Yemen. The Pentagon has made it clear its mission in the Red Sea remains purely defensive. So it's not clear to me what the triggering event would need to be for the president to authorize those response strikes. What do I think? It's odd we haven't seen the administration put the Houthis back on the State Department's foreign terror organization list. It's odd we haven't seen them shut down Iran's use of cargo ships off the coast of Yemen that are sending the Houthis targeting intelligence for these attacks that we're seeing play out. It's odd that we haven't seen the administration refreeze the $10 billion they made available to Iran with a waiver just issued in November. U.S. policy doesn't, to me, seem to match the rhetoric and Tehran responds to actions, not words. Headline two, Russia moves forward with plans to buy Iranian ballistic missiles. I want to ask Anthony about this in a little bit. But here's what we know. 
The Wall Street Journal broke this story, citing unnamed U.S. officials at Moscow is planning to buy short-range ballistic missiles from Iran for use against Ukraine. Those deliveries could start as soon as the spring. Russian officials have already visited Tehran, reportedly, to observe Iranian ballistic missiles and related equipment. My view? No kidding! FDD experts have been warning the Biden administration for more than a year that if it allowed the UN missile embargo on Iran to expire, Russia would start importing ballistic missiles from Iran. I always thought it was noteworthy that Russia and Iran disputed the Western interpretation of a UN Security Council resolution, 2231. They claimed that the transfer of the drones that we've seen move from Iran to Russia were allowed because the conventional arms embargo had expired back in 2020. This is the resolution, mind you, that governs that whole Iran nuclear deal with all these expiration dates built into the deal. And what the Russian and Iranian interpretation of the Security Council resolution meant to me was that they sort of wanted some sort of claim of international legitimacy for their moves. So, of course, they would wait for the ballistic missile embargo to expire, which it did just this past October, and then claim legitimacy for transferring ballistic missiles. President Biden allowed this missile embargo to expire in October, just days after the Hamas massacre. The news today is what we predicted all along. By the way, the U.S., U.K., France, Germany could bring back that missile embargo at any time by sending a letter to the Security Council triggering what's called the snapback of U.N. sanctions on Iran. Final headline, number three, U.S. condemns the meritless genocide case against Israel before the International Court of Justice. Here's what we know. South Africa has petitioned the ICJ to declare Israel in violation of the International Genocide Convention. The claim is absurd on its face, but it's part of the pro-Hamas push inside international organizations to delegitimize Israel and save Hamas from military destruction. But here's the thing. Where's the petition to declare China in violation of the Genocide Convention for, you know, an actual genocide against the Uyghurs? Where's the petition to call out the genocide occurring in Sudan right now? Where was South Africa while Assad was murdering hundreds of thousands in Syria? But in the wake of the largest massacre of Jews since the Holocaust, where the Jewish state fights back against the terrorist organization while still doing all it can to minimize civilian casualties where possible, this is the moment the ICJ is supposed to declare Israel to be the perpetrator of a genocide? My view, good on the Biden administration for publicly condemning this petition. We call balls and strikes, and that's exactly what needs to be done. I'd recommend more, though. States need to go on offense. Turn the tables on these Hamasniks. Perhaps file a petition against China for its genocide against the Uyghurs. Enough with playing defense at the UN. It's time to fight fire with fire. Okay, those are your headlines. I am now well pleased to welcome Anthony Ruggiero. Anthony has advised the president, national security advisor, and White House leadership on a wide range of issues regarding nuclear and chemical weapons proliferation, as well as a host of viruses, including the outbreaks of COVID-19 and Ebola. He never seems to be the bearer of good news uh, from that perch, but he's always got incredible insights to share. So we're glad he's taken the time to join us this morning. Anthony, welcome. Thanks for having me. We just saw the UN nuclear watchdog in Vienna uh, put out an irregular report on the status of Iran's nuclear program. Uh, tell us about what it says and why is it cause for alarm? 
Well, you know, this is the this is the issue that I know you and I track, and, and others here at FTD track very closely. It's not, it's not one that's that's making a lot of headlines, other than that report you referenced. You know, there was some, uh, you know, from some corners, uh, support for Iran reducing their output of enriched uranium, uh, but mind you, they didn't go to zero. They just went from a very high level to a less high level, so they were still doing it. Uh, and now they've returned to that, that, as I said, that very high level uh, back in June 2023, you know, it really reinforces that all, uh, you know, most of the, uh, the significant nuclear escalations have occurred since President Biden's election in November 2020. You know, we, we, we saw in January 2021, the, the enrichment uh, uh, to 20 percent, uh, which is 90 percent of the effort uh, toward a nuclear weapon or toward, toward the material for a nuclear weapon. And then in April 2021, uh, we saw the 60 percent, uh, which is 99, near 99 percent of that effort as well. And Iran has done other nuclear escalations. You know, the important thing for the audience, too, is that these these have no civilian justification. These are not the actions of a country that wants to maintain a civilian nuclear program. These are the actions, in addition to hiding what, they, what they've what they done in the past, these are the actions uh, that you typically see from a country like North Korea or others that are trying to develop a nuclear weapons program. Very concerning, Anthony, uh, and uh, Mark Dubowitz, our colleague, CEO at FDD, has described October 7th and all of the fires being set around the region as these weapons of mass distraction as Iran continues to pursue a weapon of mass destruction. Uh, so we cannot keep our eyes uh, off that ball. That is very, very important. Thanks for raising that. Can you explain a little bit about a different part of these reports that have been coming out of the IAEA? This has to do with an investigation into undeclared nuclear material. Goes back to what, 2018? We've never referred Iran to the Security Council for this. We've never declared them in breach of their international obligations. Just a little bit, what is that uh, investigation about? Why is it concerning and what should be done? Right. And one thing I, I forgot to mention is that it's also the stockpile and like how quickly Iran could sprint to a, a weapon, right? So this is the sort of North Korea path. I spend most of my career working on North Korea and North Korea's path was primarily uh, in the George W. Bush administration was they, you know, get out of the NPT, they expel the inspectors and they sprint toward a bomb. How quickly could Iran move to that? And in the Obama administration, that was supposed to be one year. And, and you and I both know there's a, been a debate over that number. But for, for our purposes, let's just use it as a comparison. That number is now as little as seven days. So that just gives a sense to the audience of the urgency. What you're talking about is are these facilities or these these sites that have got, that were undeclared by Iran, and so you know there's a lot of questions about what they've done. Uh, there are four undeclared sites, uh, and this was learned by the 2018 seizure of documents by Israel. So this, you know, we're we're heading into, uh, if I'm doing my math on the fly correctly, uh, sixth year, right? Uh, and so you know what the IEA, when they were able to go in, now in the Trump administration, which you and I were both there, uh, w there was a lot of stonewalling, but then there was a censure resolution, and eventually Iran let it let the IAEA, the agency responsible for these, uh, looking at these activities, and they found man, in, in some cases, they found man-made uranium uh, and and other signs that Iran had conducted these activities outside of their declaration, which means, again, that they're doing things that civilian programs just generally don't do. And, and there's a lot of questions about what that means for 
their past work and what that could do or what that could mean for their future work if they move down the the weaponization pathway but that's clear those are clearly a violation of their mpt and their safeguards obligations and and uh they should have been referred to the security council a long time ago for it yeah I, i'm always troubled by the memory of those commercial satellite imagery of uh, them moving containers out of one of those facilities back in late 2018 2019 and we don't know where those containers are today. I've never seen a report on that. What was in those containers? Why are they moving it? Um, so yeah, a lot of questions there. And by the way, that big underground facility, Anthony, that, that you and, and Andrea have been tracking uh, near Natanz, supposedly impenetrable to military attack. If that gets completed, you know that hasn't been declared either. That, that's a big thing to watch as well. Is it too late to stop this advance? I mean, we've, we've built up this picture of this major leap forward over the last two and a half, three years almost to the one yard line here of nuclear threshold status. Is, is it too late? Well, it's probably, I mean, it's too late if we continue the current trajectory we're on, which is no consequences in the IAEA, uh, sanctions that seem more, um, you know, not as robust as they, they can and should be. And, and as you mentioned in, in the headlines and, and I'm sure your listeners are, are very aware of is you know, the lack of deterrence. I think, you know, Iran is clearly in a status as they have been primarily for Biden's entire term, but at least for the last three months of testing how far they can go. And, you know, it, 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 it wouldn't surprise me that they're having senior leadership discussions of, well, what if we being Iran could go further on the nuclear side and what would the Americans do? What would the Israelis do? They're, the Israelis and the Americans are, this is Iran speaking, are distracted. And that's part of the reason why restoring at least conventional deterrence could have uh, a strong impact on what they do on the nuclear side as well. Uh, and, you know, it, it, it is, uh, you know, concerning that the administration, this current administration is trying to avoid a conflict that they're pulling themselves into. Uh, and that could require them to to uh, conduct strikes inside Iran when that was, you know, probably what they wanted to avoid their entire uh, presidential term. Anthony, I talked at the top about the report we saw in the Wall Street Journal on uh, possible Iranian ballistic missiles heading to Russia soon. We also saw in that report, uh, and we'd seen some other reporting on this previously on Russia, starting to use North Korean missile technology. What do we know about it? What should we be doing about it? Yeah, I think we saw that 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 Russia had uh, acquired the the North Korean missiles. I think this was the first reporting, perhaps yesterday, of them actually starting to use them. Uh, we know that North Korea has uh, transferred artillery and other material to Russia, uh, over a million uh, at, at least, over a million. Uh, and you know, this is another circumstance where yes, we're very concerned of something that Iran might do, uh, but this is something that North Korea is already doing. Uh, and so to me, the focus should be really be on how do we stop North Korea from doing these things? And, you know, as I said, I, I spent a lot of my career on it. This is a tough one because the the because of how close North Korea and Russia are, the, the circumstances of using interdiction or other kinds of direct methods is probably going to be less. And so, again, this is a lesson for how to how to treat Iran as well is, you know, the administration can send Iran a message by destroying North Korea's revenue streams. You know, make Kim Jong-un 
think about his strategic programs. He wants his nuclear programs, his missile programs. He wants to preserve the North Korean elites and the military. He only is doing this with Russia because he has the wherewithal to do it because the administration has refused to implement congressionally mandated sanctions. As you know, Congress passed overwhelmingly by bipartisan overwhelming majorities, which is hard to do in Congress, even in 2016, which was a presidential election, and in 2017 and 2019. So uh, the administration's not implementing those sanctions, and they should, and that would be an important message to Iran that, hey, this will be the consequence if you ship missiles uh, to Russia, in addition to your point about reinvigorating the snapback. Anthony, final question uh, in 60 seconds or less. I'm going to give you like the biggest, hardest question for 60 seconds or less. You've spent a lot of time looking at the World Health Organization. Uh, the executive board met last month, passed a terrible resolution condemning Israel. The U.S. allowed it to pass, supported it, completely ignored all the horrific things Hamas has done. It, it's just the latest in a string of bad behavior at the WHO. Why is that agency so broken? And can it be fixed? I know you spent a lot of time looking at it. 60 seconds or less. Sure. The, it starts with uh, the director general. I mean, he he his actions in, in the early in the pandemic probably cost at least a million lives, if not more. Uh, and and that that is, you know, he should not be leading that organization. So that's where it starts. The other is the U.S. has to use, uh, you know, the it, it's its contributions as leverage. Uh, and try and change the organization. They, their their focus has really expanded beyond where it needs to be, uh, and and streamlining it would would go a long way toward uh, what we need. Uh, and if we can't do that, then then I think the U.S. should probably start thinking about where we could use that money elsewhere uh, to achieve the same goals. Anthony Ruggiero, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thanks for having me. Now on to what my colleagues at FDD are following today. My colleague Sinan Sidi is tracking the recent mass arrests of supposed Israeli spies, supposed, I emphasize, by Turkish authorities. As Sinan has noted, uh, President Erdogan appears to be using this tactic to distract voters at home from economic misery by vilifying Israel and to flex his political muscle. Not a new phenomenon for Erdogan, who may be trying to convey an aura of being decisive and strong, but let's just say Sinan isn't buying it, and neither am I. FDD's Samantha Ravitch and Mark Montgomery from FDD's Cyber Center are out with a new piece applauding congressional leaders successfully requiring a handful of U.S. military bases to undertake cyber resilience and recovery exercises to assess the risk of cyber attacks on critical infrastructure. This is an issue Sam and Mark have been heavily involved in for years, and their piece notes what more needs to be done by the U.S. government to protect Americans from cyber attack and ensure necessary continuity of the economy plans are in place. And finally, my colleague Brad Bowman closely tracking the comments I mentioned at the top uh, from our leaders uh, of the Navy and Central Command. Brad has been closely monitoring who's in and who's out of the US-led Operation Prosperity Guardian, continues to make the case for why broader maritime coalition to include Saudi Arabia, Egypt, and the UAE would be mutually beneficial for countering Iranian aggression. Thanks for starting your last Friday of 2024. Actually, it's your last first Friday of 2024, to be clear, with FDD. We hope you crushed it this week. Let us help you crush it again next week by joining us on Monday. For January 8th, Jonathan Shanzer will be back in the chair. 
And he'll be joined by Mark Regev, former Israeli ambassador to the UK, uh, who is currently a senior advisor to Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. Until then, stay up to date with all of FDD's latest analysis at FDD.org and on X at FDD. As always, if you want to support FDD's work, you can make a contribution at FDD.org slash invest. Thanks for joining us today. Have a great weekend. I'm Rich Goldberg signing off for FDD.